This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. Man, this week I'm just absolutely the most excited um, and intimidated. Uh, you know, so the lady that I have here is going to be the first lady that has appeared on the podcast. And uh, that may give you a little clue on who it is that uh, is joining me. But she has, has been and continues to be my best friend. Uh, the one who has the biggest boot and kicks me in the backside to get me going and has tolerated the most, um, most garbage from me. So she, she is the one that has walked out both through the trauma and the healing and now the, you know, best life, right? So she's walked through all this, been there. Um, I'd love to introduce you to my amazing wife, Kathy Forster. Honey, how are you doing? Fine. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. A little nervous. I'll be honest. Yes. <laughs> I'm kind of a fanboy. <laughs> so, um, I'm honored to be your first female guest. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been the plan since I launched. It just was one of those of, I wanted to, uh, you know, make it something special and, and it absolutely is. So I appreciate you joining me and, uh, interested to see or hear your responses. <laughs> I have a little bit of insight on this one. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's start off Kathy with uh, talking about where things are for you in life on the business side of things. Uh, right now I work with children that have dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia and executive functioning deficits. Um, I provide prevention intervention and remediation. And I am also a homeschool coach. And if the child ends up having to be your husband, who's 40 years old and finds out, you know, that, Hey, two of our children are dyslexic. And uh, by the way, so are you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That kind of helped. <laughs> that definitely did. So what about on the personal side of life? What does it look like for you there? Um, I am a retired homeschool mom. Uh, we homeschooled for 24 years. Uh, we have four children. I homeschooled them all the way from kindergarten and for our youngest all the way through his tech college. Um, what else? Ask me some questions. <laughs> That's all your life. Come on. That's my whole life. You you have two amazing grandchildren, grandsons, grandchildren, you know, so that, uh, you know, and, and then four, four children. So I think there's more to your life than, than just being a retired homeschooler. I thought I said four children. Maybe you did. I don't know. Told you I'm nervous. <laughs> Should we just start this over? No, we're going to keep going. <laughs> I'm just going to keep, keep pushing through because my nervousness is 
just going to continue being here. So, um, yeah, I mean, stay at home, mom, my dream. And then when we finished homeschooling, it was a, uh, what now moment. And you grace graciously and rather forwardly said, you keep, doing what you've been doing, but for other people. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so um, I got training at a local dyslexia training center and school. They also have a school and here we are. I do, pri- I do it private um, and small group, but primarily private. So yeah. I have students that range in age from seven to 17 right now. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here laughing as I'm thinking about you going, you know, walking into doing the remediation, the coaching for dyslexia, you know, dyslexia. Um, It's, it's one of those, it it reminds me of like how you got into homeschooling our oldest, Um, you know, you were just kind of like, like, any parent would, you know, spend time, invest and, and already be educating, you know, your children. But then it was like, she went to school and what happened from there? Um, well, that was a long, a long story, I guess a little bit. Um, we had just moved like a week before school started. We heard great things about this teacher. I'd planned on homeschooling decided that so she could make some friends in the neighborhood that we would send her to this school. And uh, by October, I think uh, the teacher called us and said, the only thing I'm teaching her is mouse skills. And she's helping the children that are refugees in our area in the classroom. And I have nothing else to teach her, take her home and homeschool her. And I kind of had a slight, breakdown and went, uh, I know this was the plan, but now it's official. And you're like, well, you've been doing it since she was born. What's the difference now? I said, yes, but now it's official. (laughs) What do I do? So you are definitely the greatest supporter in figuring out appropriate schooling for our children you got the heart for it. So it just was a natural, uh, <laughs> a natural path. Well, let's, let's take a little bit of time and, and step back even further into that. Like, um, when you and I met, you know, what, what had been some of the, the challenges that you had gone through, um, you know, that, that brought your emotional and mental, uh, status to the relationship. Like, <laughs> My like, what did you bring into the marriage? <laughs> <laughs> Plenty. <laughs> um, you know, a, a relatively rough uh, beginning um, to the point where I moved in with my grandparents after my parents divorced and was raised I was raised by my grandparents. Um, 
whole different <laughs> ball game as far as expectations and um, not only from them, but from myself. Uh, I do have two siblings also. So, um, you know, separated from them. And that was, that was difficult. I'm, I'm the oldest and I just had to figure it out as I went. Obviously my grandparents had already raised (laughs) their children and gone through teenage years and my first round at teenage years. And so we had to figure all of that out together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I had three high schools the first semester of my freshman year. So it took me a little bit to get settled into a more or less um, permanent situation with the new uh, yet another school and my and living with my grandparents but it was good um I jumped right in I had been in choir and a singer for since I was in kindergarten I think so I really got heavily involved in choir met great friends friends that to this day I'm still friends with um and then went on to college and had originally started to down the track to be a teacher and decided that the state that I was in and I had fundamentally different ideas of what education is and how to go about it and switched to child psychology with an emphasis in music therapy and in walked the love of my life. <laughs> Who was uh, who was definitely not in alignment with where Grandma and Grandpa uh, envisioned you (laughs) being. So that was a little rough. I was I I was much like the uh, what is it, the Lady and the Tramp? Yeah, I was the Tramp. Um, So I was like, "What's that movie?" Um, But yeah, I just I think that was their biggest concern was making sure you were well taken care of, and I was definitely at that point not fulfilling that category. I mean, if I walked in, you know, for one of our daughters, I'd be like, no, 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 just back away. So I understand, I understand their position now, but back then, yeah, it didn't match up so well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you and I fell head over heels with each other. Um, And uh, at that point in time, um, mom had gotten remarried. And so yeah. your family changed again at that point yeah. and you got a, uh, a sister by love. Yes. Uh, and, uh, so things, things were changing for you both at, you know, within your family, but then also with me and the stress I created and <laughs> in, in your home dynamic, because, you know, it wasn't quite, uh, wasn't quite what grandma, grandpa envisioned. So, um, like I said, we were head over heels. Mm -hmm. When did you begin to see that um, the stuff that I was bringing into the relationship from my upbringing and 
you know, having dyslexia and ADHD and all the stuff I brought, um, you know, the whole train of stuff. When did that begin to appear and what were your thoughts at that time? Um, I think like when we actually started dating Mm -hmm. is when I got the first glimpse of it. Um, And although it didn't send up red flags necessarily, it was definitely something I took note of. And I had to do some soul searching and kind of decide, you know, is this really the relationship that I want to be in? Um, And which was an obvious, yes, (laughs) it is. Um, You know, I did, did, I prayed, I thought, I mold, I, you know, it, it, it was definitely another change. Um, communication was far different than what I knew as communication. So we what both had. What was different? So you're, you say communication was different and I know what you mean, but can you explain that a little bit further as far as what was different? Um, so my upbringing was my, my early upbringing was, um, definitely more of there are just certain things you don't talk about. They just, they just don't, we just, we just don't talk about that with my grandparents. There was much more communication, much more a lot of talking um, about, about things. Um, and there were still some, you know, being a different generation, there were still some things that didn't get talked about, but there was more open communication and dynamic um, involvement. And you came in with uh, a lot of passive aggressive tendencies, which I didn't know what passive aggressive tendencies were in that scenario um, at that time. So, you know, figuring out, how to communicate both of us with each other, but me, from my perspective, me communicating with you was different. was something I had to learn. It was a learning curve for me that I needed needed to be a bomb expert. (laughs) Not always, only sometimes, (laughs) but I mean, you, you were communicating in the way that you were trying to communicate. That's what you knew. I was trying to communicate in the way that I knew and there had to be middle ground and we were searching for that. Yeah. And it was hard searching for that. And the fact that it's like on top of that, I had learned manipulation. 
So it's like, if one way didn't work, I try something else and try something else and try something else and then go back to the first. And it's like, something's got to work. She's got to give in to what I want. Yeah, that was not healthy for our marriage at all or relationship before marriage. But um, I think of one situation in particular where um, I was struggling because what I knew as love from my parents was very different from what you were conveying and expressing and, and sharing, you know, showing me as love. And it absolutely just put me at a crossroad where I didn't know how to handle it and lost it um, because they loved me the best way that they could. But what you were sharing was absolute just selfless love. And I didn't know how to handle looking at the lack from my parents and stormed off. Um, Stormed off is a, understatement because I got in the car and peeled out, um, you know, and like, how did, how did that impact you? Because I was not talking like I do now, you know, you got bits and pieces, you got the manipulation, you got the the yelling and the anger. And then you saw me take off. Like, what were you going through thinking at that time? Oh, I was scared. I, I mean, I was, I wasn't sure it with you seeing nothing but red in that moment and taking off and where we live, there are hills, there are windy streets. There are all kinds of there's heavy traffic in portions. And um, yeah, it was scary. It And if I remember correctly, I tried calling your house and you weren't there. And um, it was well before cell phones. (laughs) So literally all I could do was wait by the phone until you had decided to, you had brought yourself down enough to reach out. Yeah. And there's no way you would have known if I had tried to call you or not at that point, because (laughs) a no cell phones B, you know, it it wasn't a guarantee that, yeah, I I don't, I don't think you even had a, an answering machine at that point. If if you had at that point in time, whether it was a pager, a flip phone, whatever. Yeah. I would have just ignored it because I was in that much of a spin cycle. I didn't yeah. know because everything I had known just came into question, you know, right. of what's, what's real, what is love really? Um, yeah. So um, obviously we continued down that road. I didn't drive off or, you know, end to anything. No clip, um, no tree, no yeah. telephone pole, no bridge (laughs) i saw red but it it wasn't uh it wasn't that that color red yeah um so we continued on and then ended up uh getting married we ended up um you know having having our oldest daughter at that point in time 
and uh, it required that we move to Nevada, right? Because the job market in Southern California was lacking, got laid off three times in nine months just because of the way the economy was. Um, So when we went to Vegas and, you know, we had um, our firstborn, how were things for you at that point in time? How were things like between us? Um, I think because we started out, when we first moved to Nevada, we started out living with my parents who had also moved to Nevada a year before or something. Um, so, you know, we tried to put on a good face and, um, things were, were tense. I mean, new baby change, change of location, um, the job market, we'd gone through a stressful, stressful time, um, at that end part before we moved. And so I think in some ways with moving in with my parents, we got a little bit of a break. Um, they, they helped with, with our daughter and my brother and sister. Sis, yeah. Well, both sisters. No. I don't remember. Um, but brother, my brother, at least one sister um, were there to, to help out you got a job uh, pretty well off the bat. So we got a little bit of a reprieve. And then when we got into our own place, you know, the, the, the stress was there again. And um, you were still learning how to communicate in a healthy way. And when there was interaction with your parents, that was a backslide for sure. Um, so there were a lot of dynamics at play that no matter how it felt, sometimes it felt like no matter how hard we tried, the harder we tried, the worse it was. <laughs> and you know, it, it was just a lot of adjustment in a short period of time that I don't think either one of us were equipped really to handle well, um, and in a healthy manner. And you know, living with my parents was by no means paradise that, you know, I, I learned to communicate for my mom for the, for the early part. And that was not necessarily the best way to communicate. Um, I learned from my grandparents that was, you know, still not a hundred percent. And then I had to learn how to communicate with you who had a totally different dynamic. And so I, we were still, we were still very young and figuring it out. And, um, you know, we could have some knockdown drag outs 
And you saw me as not like I was giving you the cold shoulder or I was shutting down on you or whatever, when really all I was doing was pulling back to give you time to calm down because you weren't going to hear what I had to say and the intent behind it until you could bring yourself down. And go ahead. I was also looking for ways to get in an argument because that was how I knew how to communicate. So, I mean, if you just communicated with an argument, I'd have been fine. That was what I knew, (laughs) but you wanted to like, you know, try and be mature here. I mean, come on. But I didn't, you know, I, I didn't learn to communicate that way. So, you know, and looking back, I'm glad I, I didn't as much strife as it caused us in letting you calm down. Um, it was still the healthier of the two options, especially with kids involved. Yeah. And we went from having one to then having three. Three. Yep. Yeah. So uh, we ended up finding out we were having twins, which uh, we were still barely getting by financially. But then we got this nice little surprise from the apartment complex when they found out we were having twins. You want to share that one? Oh, my gosh. We had to go. I think we were both making $10 an hour in management at that time and um, found out at five and a half months we were having twins and I was going on bed rest, which meant, you know, half of our income gone. Um, I think our apartment was like 500, $550 for a two bedroom. And when they found out that it was twins because of Nevada um, housing law, uh, we had to, they had to have us comply with going up to a three bedroom, which went, so we went from 550 to 800 Somewhere to a three bedroom on one income, still on bed rest. Um, so that added a whole new dynamic of stress. Um, and unfortunately, you know, there was nothing they, <coughs> excuse me, there was nothing they could do. Um, they had to comply. And at that time, it would have cost more to look for a different two bedroom than where we were. And where we were was actually a prime place for for it and I think if I remember correctly right after we moved into the three bedroom our car died (laughs) and was not repairable (laughs) so it was right next to a bus line it was across the street from the grocery store um you know it was it was a, a really good place for us to be but it just seemed like we just kept getting hit. <laughs> well, we and ended that, up. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and that, you know, didn't change the dynamic, but it definitely kept us on the track that we were on. Yeah. 
I think it amplified things because if you look yeah. at where we were financially, like you said, you were on bed rest. Then we had, you know, three children as well. That's very expensive if you go back to work. So yeah. we ended up being uh, late on rent. We ended up being late on utilities, having them shut off, which that yeah. was still something that, you know, from that time got ingrained in as, you know, um, something we've been mindful of because yeah. you see a utility vehicle by your house and it's like, <gasps> did I pay the bill? And yeah. you're making sure it's not going to get yeah. shut off. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you did go back to work at one point when the kids were um, a little bit older. Um, not much because we couldn't continue on what we were doing yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, we ended up, you, <laughs> we got a car, you would work, we would trade kids, I would work or vice versa. I don't recall which, yep. sorry. Both. <laughs> we were like ships in the night and I think there was a stress, but it was a, a bit of a different stress because we weren't seeing each other, but we were having to hold the fort down on our own. And yeah, Absolutely. Uh, we ended up at, at towards the end, um, really contemplating divorce. And you ended up when I got laid off, uh, what, it, what ended up happening like right before, um, <laughs> what ended up happening when, when I got ended up getting laid off, um, you had quit working, but then we, you know, like I got laid off, what ended up happening, uh, for us? Well, I think for, it was obviously it, it was our, it was our lowest point. It really was our lowest point. Um, Knowing that you were going to be laid off, we knew we weren't going to be able to stay in the apartment. Um, I did go back to work, like you said, and it was someplace I could take the kids with me. So that was, that wasn't as stressful as going and having to pay full price childcare um, and which wouldn't have made it worth me working. Um, but so we had to figure out something and we had a huge blow up and I just said, look, I'm going home. I'm going home until we figure something out. It'll be consistent, consistency, consistency for our kids. They'll be in a safe place. They'll know where they are. Um, we won't have bills to pay. We'll, it'll give us a chance to get on our feet. Um, you took that to mean that I was leaving you. You decided to stay and try to find something else and live with a friend. And that's a whole other story. And, um, you know, came on the weekends. I think we did that for I don't know, six months, yeah, right something there. along those lines. And before you found your next mm -hmm. big gig, your, your, your next big job. Um, and I, I 
found out that my best friend was going to be there in Nevada visiting her sister. And I said, Hey, the girls and I need to go home. Um, and she's like, okay, let's pack up your stuff and let's go. And I mean, obviously it wasn't just a, yeah, you're leaving him type of thing. It was, I mean, she, she talked to me, she, she talked to me, she made sure that it's really what I wanted to do is really what was best for us and for our girls. And if the plan was divorce and I said, no, that is not my intent, but we have, we can't stay where we are and we need someplace safe to regroup and figure life out. And it was the best solution at the time. And, and it hurt, it hurt um, because I, I wasn't sure you were going to follow us. And it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what either of us wanted. It was what was necessary for the moment, but it also caused insecurities and um, just, not just insecurities, but it caused things that had been maybe not even consciously buried or you know, consciously suppressed, there were new emotions that went with it (laughs) that neither of us knew really how to deal with. And so our fighting got worse. And like you said, there, you mentioned that, you know, is divorce the way to go? Is that the easiest route to get through this? And I was like, uh, no, that is not, not what I want. You can go ahead and file if you'd like, but I won't sign the papers. We will figure this out. And and that, oops, sorry. I was going to say it six months later, you decided enough was enough and you came and, you know, started looking from back in Southern California. Yeah, my mindset at that point, the reason I was pushing for divorce was because I was working from a victim mindset. And so at that point, I would be able to tell people, yeah, Kathy, you know, wanted the divorce and, you know, we right. went through it and woe is me to paint that picture of, yes, I am a, a victim. I mean, to just support the beliefs that I had mm-hmm. at that point in time. And sure. while you know, while you and the kids were in, you know, Southern California for six months, I got into different stuff, you know, started getting into drugs and, you know, going, okay, I need to medicate and numb the pain in some way. Um, Fortunately, I had friends around me that were like, Hey, yeah, you can try this, but we're not letting you go that far into it. And um, so, yeah, after six months, I woke up and not that I turned things around, but I knew that I wanted to have a life with you and the kids. And so came back down to Southern California, looked, found a job that was actually, you know, up in Idaho. Mm -hmm. So we all moved Um, in conversations you and I have had, you've said like, I wasn't the same guy that you had left, that things had changed. 
like how did things change in the matter of those, let's say six to nine months between when you left and then we started settling in it in Idaho? Um, I think the biggest change was that you weren't trying to escape. You weren't trying to find ways to start fights to feed your victim mentality, like you said, because that's, but the the insecurities were still there. Um, You know, there were little things here and there that we would both do that unintentionally from either of us would start an argument. Um, But I think we were still operating out of the fear of not being together. And what does that look like when we so desperately wanted to be together? Um, So I think that that was the big thing. And you had security in your job. That was huge. And, you know, looking back, we could say, okay, um, yes, you got laid off from this business, but it gave you the tools to go into corporate America differently than the tools you had when we were young, you know, fresh out of high school, early college, and, you know, things that you just hadn't been trained for. That small company gave you a chance being completely green and you thrived in it and you could take those skills to corporate America. And I think that was a big part of the change that insecurity in and of itself changed you because you didn't have to worry about, are we going to be able to pay rent? Are we going to be able to, you know, pay our utilities? Do we have to, Rob Peter to pay Paul. Um, it was okay. Here we go. Here's the paycheck. You know, let's do this. We have some hope. I think that, I think that was a big thing. Hope having the hope of a better life than what you grew up in. And that you could transfer that to your family. Having been in, in Idaho for 10 years, that was definitely, we had other stresses that came up, but I think there were also, it was growth that came about in learning new skills because in my stupidity at the time, I actually threw fuel like napalm on our life in inviting my parents to come and live with us. That was just, oh my gosh. Let's be fair. I said, this is happening. We, they need to come live with us. I'm okay with that. And I, I invited them to come because you thought it would be a good idea to as an olive branch, but I really did. I, I wanted them, (coughs) excuse me. I wanted them with us and I knew what dysfunction. Well, I knew what level of dysfunction I thought was going to be brought in, Mm -mm. but 
it was much deeper than, than what was. we had seen before. It was. It was completely different. And we hadn't seen them in several years. So we didn't know how much additional dysfunction that they had fallen into. But um, with my whole heart, I wanted them here, even though I knew what the potential was, what I thought I knew what the potential was, because it was something that was important to you and because they were older. And as much as they didn't know how to parent, they parented you with 100% of what they had to Mm -hmm. parent you with. And that deserves respect in my eyes to they brought you into the world, the love of my life. I wanted to show them that respect. I think that the challenge in it was I was still mentally and emotionally a little boy looking for my parents' approval and validation because having grown up and been like, Hey, you're a mistake. You'll never amount. Like I wanted the exact opposite where they were like, Hey, we love you. We're proud of you. You're fantastic. And I mean, I can think of numerous times where it's like I sacrificed you and our relationship to try and get that from them. Um, And so it was, it was well-intentioned, but it was like opening Pandora's box. Yeah. Um, Just, just because they were so hurt and who they were. And later on, we found out what was going on is that my mother um, was paranoid schizophrenic. Right. And, um, you know, that was a whole different level, Mm -hmm. but she didn't want help, um, you know, even when it was court mandated. Yeah. And so that that brought up a whole new level. We we ended up from there moving into where it was like learning about what boundaries are. Mm -hmm. And I finally woke up a bit (laughs) to say like, Hey, mom and dad, sorry, I'm not, um, sacrificing my, my wife and children, you know, for your approval. And that caused ripples on their side. Mm -hmm. Um, what, like, as we were going through implementing boundaries, which were super awkward, um, Mm -hmm. and you know, my mom getting diagnosed, like, how did you see that impact us, you know, you, you and I, in our relationship, and then also with the kids. I think it really made us as a family cling together. Um, I, I feel like it strengthened our bonds all the way around. Um, did you and I still have our things Yes. I mean, every time you saw them, every time you talked to them on the phone, you reverted. Um, And that made me frustrated. That made me angry. That made me sad. um, Because it was hurtful to me to see you go through that. And I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't fix it. It wasn't something that was fixable in the first place if she 
even with the court mandated um, diagnosis and the court mandated that she was supposed to be on medication and, you know, all of that stuff, seeing you hurt that she was hurting and that your dad was hurting and seeing you hurt that she wouldn't do something to help herself was very, very frustrating. Um, not because you were hurting for them, not because you love them, but because all I could do is sit by and support you in the hurt and the pain and the frustration and the anger and the, the fear and all those emotions that you had going on that there was no way for me to comfort except for letting you vent. Um, and sometimes that venting was directed at me, <laughs> excuse me, although I knew it wasn't really directed at me. I was the safe safe space for you to let that out. And, um, and then of course, when you did that, then you got frustrated with yourself for taking it out on me. And I would have to reassure you that I knew it wasn't, and it didn't have anything to do with me and that I was okay with it. And I needed you to be, feel safe enough to do that because you couldn't keep it bottled up. Um, and I think once you figured out that you had thrown me under the bus and you were at the very beginning stages of even throwing our kids under the bus. And at that time we had four, um, that that realization added to your already myriad of emotions and you had to just kind of go through the muck. You had to slog through and try to catch yourself when things were, were happening. And thank God we had some really good, strong friendships that we have to this day um, that were there a safe place for me to be able to talk about what was going on and my side of things. Um, but also they were there at the drop of a hat or even without saying anything for you to be able to just even guys just cry to because there was nothing else that you could do to explain those emotions. And I mean, life just changed around so quickly. Ha ha. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was an overnight deal. Um, so in my infinite wisdom at that time, I was pretty direct, shall we say, that it's like, don't share what's going on within our family, the struggles that we're having, you know, keep up this facade, the, the happy family kind of thing. How did you navigate that at that time? Because, you know, you just talked about, hey, we have these friends that are super supportive and you're sharing your side, but yet you've got your husband 
you know, railing on you going, don't share anything because I don't want to look bad. How did you, how did you get through that? I went to my friends. <laughs> Wait a I minute. Mean, you disobeyed me? No, saying so. Imagine that. Um, no, I, I had to have that safe outlet. And that really was one of our big arguments more than once that I knew (laughs) that for my own mental health, I had to have, I couldn't bottle that up. It was too much for too long. And Idaho really was a place of growth for me. Um, and a place of healing for me to have those people that were not judging me. And I had, I still had my best friend, but she was, you know, miles away and different time zone. Um, so, you know, I needed that safe space to, you know, and I knew they were, they were people who were not going to say anything. They weren't going to tell you, Oh, you know, I talked to Kathy today and she said, or, you know, if it was one of my female friends and you were friends with the husband, I knew that what I talked with her about was completely safe and was, was going to stay between us. And I could get an outside perspective of trying to encourage you to find somebody safe to talk with, to encourage you that these people in our lives were safe. Um, And I didn't share everything. I, I think I kind of found the middle ground. If I felt like it was going to, I was going to say something that would undermine you or make you look bad, then I really had to think about whether that was worth speaking about. And if it really was, I had to figure out a way to say it that was not detrimental or demeaning to you. Um, But what I came to find out was the more real I was and the more raw I was, the more healing I had. And it wasn't any different than when I couched my responses to those female friends, you know, no matter how raw I was, it was not going to come back on you as you're a failure. You're bad. You don't know what you're doing. Your wife should leave you. None of that stuff was going to come about. It just wasn't with this group of friends. It was going to be support. And the guys would call you out if not because they were told something, because they, but because they were observant enough to know who you were at your core and what was not jiving with that. What, what it was that you were hiding what it was that you were putting on a mask about, they would, they would see those things and be like, Hey, are you okay? Do you need to talk? 
it's only because you shared it that they knew. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and as you were raw and real, I'm sure you found out you were the only wife going through things, right? Oh, yeah. All the other husbands were just angelic, idyllic and model, model husband, correct? Oh, yes. Yes. I was the only one ever to go through this. <laughs> no, and I think that was the beauty of it. You know, we never, this group of friends, we never had a man bashing session. Never. And if one of us started going down that road, it was called out. It was like, it was redirected. So tell me what's the positive that is coming out of this. Tell me what is good. What did he do for you this week? What did he say to you that was kind and loving? And we all, we all went through that. Our, you know, all these, the, the women that were in our group, it was never about bashing our husbands or our significant others. It was always about building you up behind your back and reminding us that we have our own flaws and we need to look for the positive attributes. We've talked so much longer. Oh my gosh. I'm like, it's been an hour. Um, Why don't we pause it there and let's pick up from moving from Idaho to Kansas. Why don't we pick up that on the next time and talk more about, um, you know, how perfect things were when we left Idaho, of course, um, that, that we had both grown and there was nothing else to grow. Yeah. Um, all done. Yeah. <laughs> you had grown your husband and, and parented him perfectly and there was nothing else to do. You're walking on water now. Yeah. As long as it's frozen. <laughs> So let's, let's, let's uh, go ahead and break here. What I do want to ask you to end the session is how can um, people get in touch with you as far as like the, the remediation with dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, um, and like the executive functioning or homeschooling, how can, can people reach out to you on that stuff? Probably the best way is on Facebook um, AHA Interactive, the logo is a light bulb. Um, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me at this moment. Must have been like when I had that that bright idea go off and go, hey, I love her. You took that light bulb and ran with it, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. I did. That's <laughs> why it's called AHA. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, honey, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll have to pick up and talk about the uh, the perfect life after that. We'll do it. Yeah, yes. perfect in air quotes. <laughs> thank you, hon. Thank you. Hi, Coach Mike here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Living Fearless Today podcast. Man, if you're struggling with your worth, feeling you're not enough and playing small, Honestly, this isn't your lot in life. There is more available to you beyond this podcast to help you uncover your worth, feel respected, be confident, and play bigger in all areas of your life. Grab a time at highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call to set up a complimentary session on where you're at today, who you want to be, 
and how you can live the life you've been desiring. Again, head on over to highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call and take that first step towards your life transformation. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.